If you guys want to want to want to do something for me, if you don't want to do it for me, do it for yourself. If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the Lord. If you don't want to do it for Him, we'll sit and look like a knot on a log. But uh, KB's going to pull up the last song, well, two songs ago, sorry. And I'm sitting there over there singing and worshiping, and I'm reading these lyrics, and I'm thinking about these lyrics. So I don't like us to be liars, because Revelation says liars go to hell. So that don't seem like a good thing to do. So I want you guys to stand up. Raise your hands. It says, I'm going to lift my hands till I reach heaven. If you ain't reached it yet, get on your toes. <laughs> if you got a little bit of athleticism in you, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to go with it because my wife ain't in here. Get a little jump because you're trying to reach heaven. You know what I'm saying? Reach. Reach. Now, while you're reaching, it says, I'm going to shout that name. Like, for me, I'm just going to make y'all do what I do, right? For me, the strongest name I can come. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. It didn't say I got tired. It said I kept them up. Right? Go back to Moses and he had some friends that had to come and, and keep his hands up. Right? So keep your hands up. It said I called out his name. Like for me, and I think for most people, even if you had a bad daddy, the best thing you could do is then be redeemed by a good daddy. Right? So for me, I'm going to say Abba. And I'm going to make you guys say Abba because it's my exercise. Right? So raise your hands. Get down on your toes. Maybe a little jump and just say Abba. 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 Alright, y'all sit down. Y'all look like a bunch of crazy people. If we're going to make him first in our lives, we ought to be able to do the things we worship and say we're going to do. It's one thing to stand up here and just sing a song and be excited about how good the lyric is or how beautiful it sounded or, or the fact that she hit every instrument on the keyboard thing and then he hit every every beat with the drum thing and, and all that going on. But it's another thing when we say, I'm going to let him hit every beat and every instrument in my daily life. Okay. Meaning it ain't just going to be some songs that I'm singing. It's going to be actions that I'm walking in. Guys, I don't want us to just sing songs because they sound good to the Lord and they make us feel good. I want us to live out Scripture, the Lord, Abba Father. He wants us to live out what we worship. And the greatest way we can live it out is in our lives. The greatest impact we can make is letting Him impact everything in us. Our hope in this whole series in Colossians, man, stuff's just lined up so good. Our hope in this whole series in Colossians is that we're going to put Jesus first in every area of our life. I don't know if you guys remember, but weeks ago we did that chart. And we separated first generation faith from secondhand faith. And we said every single one of us, the goal for us is to get first generation faith. I don't need no faith that my mom and daddy passed on to me. I need my own faith. I don't need grandmama's faith even though she turned 83. You know what I'm saying? Which is a long time ago. Oh, I said the age. My bad. I mean that she turned 29, 28. Whatever she turned. I don't forgot what she turned. 28, I think it was, right? I, 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 don't, I need my own. When Joshua walked into the promised land, he wasn't able to live on Moses' faith. He had to claim his own faith. He had to look at the giants and he had to look at the greats and he had to decide what's bigger, God's greats or Satan's giants. Right? He claimed his own faith. Guys, if we're not willing to claim our own faith, we're going to miss out on so many of the blessings. First generation faith. And as we work our way through this thing, here's how Paul set it up. Just to remind us, and, and if you're visiting or hadn't caught up all the, all the section, I know I say all the time you need to check everything out online because that's what I want you to listen to everything. But if you listen to nothing else, this is a series you need to listen to. When Paul writes his church in Colossians, there's so much of it relates to us and so much of it is a theme for our walk with God. In, in essence of this, Paul started this letter, the theme of the book, Jesus being first. He said Jesus was first in creation. Not that he was created. He was just first in creation. He, he was there. So he uses that. Go back and check it out. He said that he went first. That's talking about salvation. If he was first in creation and he went first, therefore he should be first and all our prioritization Another new word for you today, prioritization. 
Right? So I'm going to have all kinds of new words for you, right? So, so as we jump into this thing, what Paul's doing now when he talks about our priorities is he's instructing these Colossians that Jesus is to be first in 90% of the area of our life that's not in the church. Let's be honest. We don't get together as much as we'd like to, right? We don't get together probably as much as we need to. And we definitely don't get together in here as much as we're together out there. So, so Paul writes this thing and he says, 90% of your lives... It's not dealing with stuff in the church and religious activities. 90% of your lives is the relationship outside these walls. So what are you going to do with the relationships with those outside these walls? See, the Colossians like us, they had this problem. And they thought of, and Paul, Paul's wrote about it for a long time. They, they thought of life as like buckets. And all of y'all came in with this bucket today. This is your Jesus bucket, if you didn't know. Right? I know it looked like a Jesus bucket, so you knew exactly what it was. Right? <laughs> This is your Jesus bucket. This is your religious bucket. You brought it in. You sat it down at the church. And you felt good. Because you had your your religious Jesus bucket. What about all the other buckets? What about all the other buckets? There's, there's like buckets around this room, I think. Oh, there you go, brother. Can I get that bucket? Yeah. Did you sit there? You want me to get it or you good? You ain't gonna make me uncomfortable. <laughs> you thought it, yeah. So it's a bucket. It's another bucket. But my Jesus bucket's up there, so this is oh, this is my playtime bucket. Because it's a sand bucket, right? So whenever I got playtime, that's separate from my Jesus time. That's what we do, is it not? Don't act like we don't do now. Right? So I got my playtime bucket. Right? And then there's... I don't know where they get these buckets. Y'all really got to help me out. Look. <laughs> hey, will you give me that bucket, Bo? Oh, this one's good. This is a good bucket right here. You know the problem with somebody else hiding your buckets all over the church? Is that you don't know the order you're going to do this stuff. So I get the improv, too. Thanks, bro, for setting the stage for us, right? No, I hope I can improv as good as he could, right? Y'all know what this is? Laundry basket! Y'all ever use one? Yeah. Bunch of liars. <laughs> Y'all know what a laundry basket represents for real? No, I don't represent a dirty laundry dog. We took that all. That was a couple weeks ago. We put on new clothes. We new creation. What's a laundry basket? Come on. Come on. What is it? I ain't at work. No. Ain't no past life. Church trying to sound spiritual. Why you trying to sound holy? Uh, get over there in the holy section if you want to sound holy, right? I love that this was in the holy section. This is procrastination. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. These are the things we put off that we don't want to do right away, is it not? How many of y'all got dirty laundry in the house right now? I watched the hands go down for just a couple stages. How many of y'all got washed laundry in the house right now? How many of y'all even dried the laundry? How many of y'all folded every piece of laundry that's been washed, dried, and put up? <laughs> Procrastination. It's the things we put off and we don't know when we want to do them. It's another bucket. I put it in there. You know the problem with this bucket? I put in all the things I don't feel like doing right away. Jesus is still in this bucket. Right? So it's just another bucket separate from Jesus. Right? Let me get another bucket. Uh, over there. Well, oh, look at there. I don't make you run and get these things as fast as you find them. Where is it? Oh, there you go. Whoa, I think I'm watering. Y'all know what this bucket is? A mop bucket. That man done had to pop the house <laughs> to make Lori happy. I like it, right? 
<laughs> now you got a work bucket, Todd. You got your work bucket now, right? This is work. I, I, I put it in a bucket. I compartmentalize. I box it up. You know what the problem is if I got all my work stuff in this bucket? Jesus is still in his bucket. So now all I got is another separate bucket. I don't know how many more we got. Hell, y'all done figured it out. Man. I said, y'all better throw your buckets quicker. We'll be here past lunchtime. <laughs> 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 I'm going get that fried chicken on time. We already talked about this morning, right? Y'all know what this one is? Be careful. Be careful. It ain't, it ain't a mop bucket no more. You did a mop bucket. <laughs> what you say? A throw-up bucket. That's what I'm doing. Daddy loves him so much when he gets sick, I hand him the car wash bucket in there. And I tell him, go sit in the bathroom with it, boy. I'll check on you in the morning after. <laughs> you got to be honest with you, right? What is it? Car wash bucket. Because I care about what I drive. I care about how it looks. Some of y'all are like, y'all ain't never used a car wash bucket. <laughs> I can't believe this brother at all because he's in the wrong spot. Well, some of us wash our car because we care about the appearance that it brings forth. Right? So this is my appearance bucket. Right? The problem is if I care about my appearance by yawning. You know there's something with these buckets? Y'all handed them to me. That means I had to leave Jesus and his bucket to come get y'all's bucket, my bucket from y'all. That don't seem right, does it? I'm going to leave Jesus and his bucket to come take my bucket from the rest of y'all in the world? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Is that what Landon just took time to read about? Is there any other buckets? Oh, there is another bucket. Look at don't throw that one. Don't throw it. I think there is one more after this one, too, actually. Y'all know what this bucket is? Oh, y'all trying to sound sophisticated. It's a pail bucket, Pastor. Huh? What is it? You moved the cow. I made people in here moving cows. What is it? A feed bucket. So it's like chores. Not the milk bucket or the people in the milk of cows. No, that's our guy who's totally drink. Right? It, it's a feed bucket. Or for me, because I ain't got no cows or nothing to feed, it becomes an ash bucket. My job at the house is to empty our fireplace and put the ash in. So it's my chore bucket. It's my chore bucket. You know the problem if I separate my chores, my roles, my job at the house from Jesus? Then I'm doing them by the world's standards and not by his standards. Right? Is there any more of that? Oh, there is one more. Where's that? You better be careful who hands you your bucket, too. That'll preach. Huh? I know you might make me walk over here for no reason. Oh, little bucket! What is this? I think this is a sand bucket. This is playtime. Is there any other buckets? That's your money bucket? <laughs> <laughs> One of them had a wrapping paper bucket, did you not? You know the problem with my wife and my sister both doing kids? They set up the buckets. <laughs> hey, that looks like a wrapping paper bucket. Yeah! We're going to get it all. Y'all going to find them faster? Y'all ain't going to get lunch on time. That is a bucket in a house. That's like two buckets. What kind of wrapping? Y'all know a wrapping paper bucket represents? What is it? Yes. 
gifts. How many of y'all base what you give other people off of worldly expectations? He said he was going to watch this morning, so it's going to be real funny. But I was speaking with a dad yesterday at the shop. He come by, he was getting lifted, and, or sorry, Friday. Getting lifted, get tires for his boy, and another boy, they twins. They both got both got twin comas, they both get two inch level kids, they both get 33. You know, you gotta have it, gotta have it, right? So he tells me, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, right? He tells me, I don't want to spoil them, though, but, I, but I want them to like what they get. 45 minutes after a conversation on a little two inch level kids and 33s, which y'all know in my world, that's small stuff, right? He tells me, well, I just want to make sure the friends are gonna like what they get. Do you base what you give? Another thing is to be as holidays, because we give a lot of gifts all Do you base how you handle the holidays off the worldly expectations? Or is Jesus finally getting in one of the boats? Huh? I'm going to give y'all this one back because it ain't going to work for the next part. <laughs> I didn't know that bucket was going to be so big. <laughs> but, but, but here's my thing. And here's where we mess up as a church, guys. And here's where the Colossians were messing up. We've been on it for weeks, right? They tried to separate Jesus from everything. Jesus ain't want to be separated from everything. Jesus want to be in everything. Because Jesus isn't something you put in a bucket. Jesus is the bucket. You know what I'm saying? So that means your playtime, your money you saving, it better be in Jesus. Right? Your chores, your work, you better be handling them in Jesus. Right? Your No, this was chores. I don't know what the other one was. Right? <laughs> Y'all stay with me because it don't matter, right? It better be in Jesus. Even the stuff you procrastinate and wait to the very end to do. Because you don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know when you're going to do it. You don't even know why you're going to do it. It better be. Should have made Jesus bigger. <laughs> in Jesus. In Jesus. Why we try to compartmentalize and separate and make everything into its own bucket when everything we read in Scripture says Jesus is supposed to be the center of everything. He's supposed to be in control of everything. You don't get to separate him. Huh? Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how fit this is. I had no idea he was going to be here, by the way, until this morning. So I'm telling you, like when, when you look at somebody running for politics, and we use this phrase in the church, oh, yeah, yeah, hot enough high, right? But we use this phrase all the time in the religious world. We try to say, oh, you need to separate Jesus in the church. Why? Is Jesus not supposed to be in the church? So as soon as we get Jesus in the church, then we try to separate stuff from the world, right? Oh, you need to separate the church from politics. Why? Is Jesus not to be in control of them too? Huh? Right? Yes. Don't guess it if you don't. You know what I'm saying? You don't believe it. That'd be like raising your hands and not meaning it. Guys, he's supposed to be first in everything. He is the bucket. He's not a bucket we separate stuff into. He is the one. Look at verse 12. He even started with such a good transition too. He's so, he's so good when he read, right? He looked down and he said, this is your new identity. Then for some reason he went back to verse 1. But in verse 12, halfway through, it says, Therefore, because you got a new identity... As God's chosen ones, as God's elect, as God's holy, as God's dearly loved, start putting on some compassion, some kindness, some humility, some gentleness, some patience. Start bearing with one another. Start forgiving one another. To get rid of the grievances that are against one another. Just as the Lord God has forgave you, you were to forgive. This is in every relationship Jesus is supposed to, we're supposed to be looking and living like Jesus. Amen. And if the world looks at us and they don't see him, there's a problem. 
We get scared of this word. Somebody told me last week when I, or two weeks ago when, when Angie first read this section and we had that word elect there and, and, I, and I used that word elect and somebody said that, that's kind of like a, like a scary word when it says elect, right? It's not to scare you. It's supposed to make you comfort because I'm his elect. It's supposed to make, give you a destiny to fulfill. Why? Because it's his destiny, not mine any longer. I no longer have to worry about all these buckets because all these buckets is in him. So if they're all in him, I'm going to do everything that each of those buckets is supposed to be the right way. Now, when I separate them buckets and I go out into the world and try to bring back my bucket, that means the standards change because it's no longer in Jesus. It's now in the world. It's now separate. It's now in my head. It's all, it's now not doing the things that this verse just listed. By the way, look, look at this right here. It says put on tender mercies. I love this just to make you a little more hungry, right? That word tender in the Greek, when it talks about put on tender mercies, kindness, and humility, th those qualities that are mentioned, right, they express themselves in our relationships, which, which is how a lot of our Christian life, the great basic Christian virtues should be governed in human relationships. Don't you dare tell me the way we treat people outside these walls is different from how we should be treating them in here. It should govern every area of our life all the time. The quality of those relationships, how we treat people ought to be seen. And that word tender mercies, Tender mercy. Y'all know how you make something tender? You beat it. You do. Y'all know how to cook good. Y'all figure that out, right? Right? So, so, so when something's tender, you, you ever did a little workout? We're going to talk about eating and working out at the same time. That don't seem good, right? Who's done a good Who went for a good run? I, let me put my hand down. I don't do no running. I will pick stuff up and put stuff down to the cows come home. But there ain't no cardio going into this cat. Right? All right. So you ever been sore afterwards? How do you know if that area is tender? My, my, my wife has this thing after I do a good chest workout, I get real sore right here. So she's got this thing once she figures out I did chest, she'll randomly poke that thing. Oh, it's so tender. It makes a grown man want to cry. You know what I'm saying? So, so when it uses, this is no lie in the Greek, when it says tender mercies, the word there means sensitive to the touch. Well, what am I applying this with other relationships? And what, what is the Lord trying to say? Why did he, he bless him with this word to use, right? I ought to feel the slightest touch of other people's misery. Do y'all even care enough to check out other people's misery? Do you even get deep enough to worry about what somebody else is going through? Right? It says, I want tender mercies. Meaning that, that I, I, want, I want to be sensitive to the touch of others. I want to notice it. That means you got to notice it, right? You look at this word humility that it uses right here. That's the parent word of meekness and long suffering right here. How you separate them is this way right here. Meekness shows that humility will affect my actions. I'm not going to dominate, manipulate, or coerce anybody else in the world, whether I have the power or the ability to do it or not. That's, that's meekness. Long suffering, it shows how humility is now going to affect my reaction towards others. I'm not going to become impatient, short, or filled with resentment towards somebody who's weaker or more sinful than me. See how it all relates to other people? And then he gets to verse 14, man. I'm trying to fly through some of the ones we already did just so we can get to the, to the main thing, right? Verse 14, it says, above all, put on, put on love. Because love perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in every relationship. Right? All the virtues listed in 12 and 13 on the highest level are just manifestations of love. Really, love is even larger than them, right? Because the other virtues, if they're pursued without love, they become distorted and unbalanced. Some of y'all think you, you're pursuing good stuff this way. But if you're not pursuing it in love, if you're not pursuing it in the motive of Christ, it's been distorted and unbalanced. Look at 15 and 16. 
15 and 16, which we looked at at the end of two weeks ago. He said, I want to dwell in you. There's that, uh, that illusion of, of that divine presence that was in the tabernacle in the first temple. Except for now it's transitioning away from that area into you. He said, I want to dwell in you. I want to dwell in you so much it produces. What does he say? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I, I love it right here because the variety su- uh, suggests that God delights in spontaneous and creative stuff. Y'all realize that? We fall into traps sometimes when it comes to the music world into thinking, that, oh, we, we got to keep doing what we've always done and not change it. No, I think God loves a variety of stuff. Not changing the message, not changing him, but maybe changing the way we present it. Maybe changing the excitement that comes with it. You know, you read this, and he says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that you're given to one another. It means that Christ wants to dwell so richly inside of us that we get spontaneous expression that breaks out in the world. Not only in church, by the way. Y'all ever had a breakout session in the world, not in church? My fear is that some of y'all think you got to come to church to get a breakout session. We talk all the time about having you a prayer break and, and, and pausing to go pray. You ever pause to praise? Huh? Y'all get an emergency. Y'all, y'all get some bad news. Y'all get your little feelings hurt. And y'all quit to pause to go pray. And ain't nothing wrong with praying. Don't get me wrong. But my question is, why are we so quick to pause to pray when we got a need, but we're not quick to pause to praise? You know what would happen if we would just break out and pray sometime? I'm talking look stupid to the world outside. I'm serious. Look as goofy as you can get. Huh? I'm telling you, like, put the bike on cruise control, raise your hands, and break out into some worship. It'll psych some cars coming at you in a whole other level. Especially if your eyes is closed. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there should be limits to the pause break. You know what I'm saying? I'm serious, though. When's the last time? Man, I will never forget. I'm not a neighborhood guy, right? I will never forget that when I lived in the neighborhood of Felder Creek, and we used to always light the windows up because Crystal likes that that lighted atmosphere or whatever. And Saturday, she used to take the kids when they was real little and, and just be gone all day. So I'd be in there working on my sermon. And, and we had this, this little section in the living room that we turned into like my, my nook. So I had my computer there, my books there, and Bible spread out everywhere. And I'd be in there. And about halfway through almost every Saturday, I'd have to get up and just start dancing around the living room. I ain't lying to you. I'm serious. Like, uh, yeah, when y'all stand still and worship, I don't get it. I don't know how y'all do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, when the Spirit gets to me, I just got to move and let it, let it burn a little bit or something, you know? So, so I, I run around the house. Finally, one day, one of my neighbors tells me. <laughs> now, here's the bad part. You think it's funny already. Here's the bad part. He says, Bo, a lot of Saturdays, you be like doing cardio in the living room. What you doing? <laughs> I'm prepping for my sermon. You got to run to prep for the sermon? <laughs> no, but I got to run when he gets inside of me. <laughs> right? But here's my thing, and here's here's where it really got weird in my head after I talked to him, and I came back, and I sat back down at the table, and it was finished and stuff. How many Saturdays did he watch me do that? <laughs> and at least when we lived in the neighborhood, I was wise enough to know to put on clothes when I was there, right? <laughs> you imagine if he'd have seen me now and give ins? <laughs> He'd have thought I was David dancing in nothing but a pair of boxes. But I was prepping for a sermon. <laughs> oh, man, we ought to get some praise breaks. Look down to verse 17. I'm trying not to get off track, man. I promise, right? Look down to verse 17. It says, in whatever you do, in word or in deed, that means if you speak it or you're doing it, do everything. How many things? Everything. everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do, do we do every interaction, not just the spiritual ones, all your buckets? Do you do all your buckets in Jesus? 
Some of y'all, be, here's my favorite thing. You watch a new Christian, even if you watch a kid. Not, not that it, when a kid does it, it's, it's bad necessarily because they've been learning from watching us, right? But you ever watch like when they're praying, they're like, in Jesus' name. I, I, there's a lot of Christians that don't know why they pray in Jesus' name. Just being honest with you, right? They think like, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, oh, goodness, I, I wonder if they think that's like the Jesus, I'm going to talk to you later. Like, that's the ending. Right? T-T, what y'all do? T-T-L-Y? Talk to I don't know what y'all do. I don't do none of that stuff when I text. Right? If you want to text to me, you got to type out the word. So uh, anyway, <laughs> but 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 I, I wonder sometimes when we're praying if we think like this is just a code for the end. Guys, if you're praying and you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying is I'm asking for these things according to His will, according to His glory, and according to His power. And Paul is saying this should be more than what we pray. This should be in everything we do. This is tomorrow morning, now that y'all back from vacation, Todd and Sheila. This tomorrow morning, when you sit down in that beautiful back window you got on those computers, you're going to do it in Jesus' name. The first inbox you open, the first email you check, in Jesus' name. That means sometime this week when y'all take somebody to lunch. Yes, that means you got to take somebody to lunch this week, one of you, right? You take somebody to lunch this week, that means you're going to do it in Jesus' name. That means when you look at yourself in the mirror, the way you judge yourself, in Jesus' name. Ooh, you ever thought about that one? Huh? Some of us spend too much time looking in the mirror because we're so worried about all these other boxes and what all these other people are going to think. If we put ourselves in the Jesus bucket, we'd be all right. Because he looks at you greater than anything could be looked at. You're his prize. When a person tries to merge and traffic ahead of you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to leave it right there. You get off work early and you go catch a movie or you go play golf or whatever you do with, with your free time. In Jesus' name. When you come home and kiss your wife. In Jesus' name. That might lead to some good stuff. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> when you kill somebody in Fortnite, you three. In Jesus' name. Uh-huh. Maybe not that. Oh well, no, he said in everything. In everything. Even in Fortnite. In Jesus' name. You're like, Dad, Fortnite was last week. We're on to a new thing now. Guys, I'm, first of all, please hear me. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not advocating that you actually start saying this stuff every time you do something. That would be weird, and the world already looks at us as we weird. Okay? What I do advocate and I do mean and what I hope we think is that every interaction we do, we participate in, should be done in Jesus' name, offering honor to him in the way we handle it all. Paul goes on from this section. Let's get into some meat and potatoes now, right? Paul goes on into this next section and he, and he gets into this outline now of what this should look like in a series of typical mundane, normal relationships. These are all like the normal relationships that people go through, right? Husband, wives with husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, servants to masters, bosses to, to workers, employees uh, to bosses, basically everybody to everybody, right? When you're out in the world, every relationship that you come in contact with, it's all included somewhere along this way. And the point is that every interaction we have should first and foremost be committed to Jesus. The things we do should be for him. And it might look like we're doing them to another person. Here's the key thing. Keep in mind, even when the world looks and sees us doing it toward another person, we're actually doing it toward Jesus. Whatever that was. The Bible tells us that we have everything we need in Christ, not only to live holy lives, but to live in harmony in our homes. Could we not use a little more harmony in our homes? No, y'all couldn't? I could. I could use a lot more harmony in my home, a lot more peace in my home, right? Colossians 3, the fullness of Christ, he says, it should affect your home life. 
The very first thing he goes into after talking, well, we talked about the relationship in the church a couple weeks ago, but the very first thing he goes into daily application is this home life thing, the, the family thing. So verses 18 through 21, and here's what I love. Here, here's what I love, man. Yep. Y'all ever see the sign we did years and years ago to say, keep it simple, stupid? Right? Keep it simple, stupid. He keeps it so simple because each person only gets one job to do. Right? We overcomplicate things all the time. Then no overcomplicating. He leaves one task, one lesson to each person in order to bring harmony into your home. And he starts, which I still ain't figured out why, by the way, but he starts the section, verse 18, with the wife. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, let me be real clear and up front, because I know a lot of y'all don't like this. Ain't hey, none of y'all ever asked for this verse in one of the weddings I've done. I don't know why. <laughs> I even tried to tell Katie and Curtis this week while we were sitting down. I said, there's a good verse coming up in Colossians that would be great for the wedding. Right? They didn't take it. Curtis smiled a little bit, but Katie shot it down. Right? Hey, here's one of the biggest lessons you can get from this thing, right? Notice what it said. To her own husband. Nowhere in the Bible does it command nor even recommend the submission of a woman to a man. You catch what I'm saying? That means don't none of y'all men up in this church expect my wife to submit to you. She submit to me. She don't submit to you because you're a man. She don't even submit to me because I'm a man. She submits to me because I'm her husband. Right? Tell the boys all the time. Y'all know who's in charge, right? And they say, yeah, dad, you are. Because mom put you there. <laughs> but that's true submission, is it not? It's not a lesser of value or anything like that. It's not related to that in any way. Literally, the Greek word here is talking about a military term. It's talking about a submission in rank to yourself. It would be what they would use to talk to a general, to a captain, or a sergeant, a sergeant, not a surgeon, a sergeant to a private. Right? So, so here's what he's actually implying. He's implying order. Well, what does it say at the very beginning of the Bible when God first starts creating things, right? God takes chaos and creates order. You want some order in your home? Let God take control of the chaos and bring about order. Is there any of you ladies that wouldn't like more order in your home? I'm not saying can you deal with disorder. I'm saying who wouldn't want more order, right? Who wouldn't want more, 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 more? Who definitely don't want more chaos, right? Huh? Most women feel like they want this, but here, here's, here's my worry sometimes, is that, is that they're afraid. And it, this is truth. And here's why they're afraid, because so many men, even so many churches, have begun to abuse this. I know of churches right now where the pastor thinks he's the man over all women because he's a man. That brother needs to do a Bible study is all I'm telling him. Because that ain't what it's about. Right? That, that, nowhere in there is that what it's about, right? They're afraid because men have misused this thing. They're afraid because they think, oh, does that mean I got to submit even when he? No, you don't have to submit even when he's abusive. Because the very next sentence says, when God asks a woman to submit, he uses a, a phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. Meaning this, this is for the Lord. You're not obligated to follow his leadership if he's contrary to Bible standards. That ain't what it's saying. That's when you slap him with the broom. That's when you chop him with a dustpan. You know what I'm saying? That's when you get some buckets out and start throwing on him. Right? As is fitting to the Lord. Now, please understand this, because a lot of people take that phrase and try to run two opposite worlds in it. They take as is fitting to the Lord, meaning that the wife should submit to the man as if he's God. Yeah, right. Huh? Yeah, right. Tell your wife that there'll be no harmony in the home. There'll be no other stuff in the home either. Right? Huh? So it's not talking about the extent of the wife's submission. 
But the other way we take it is now we try to use it to limit. So it doesn't define the limit of the wife's submission either. Because then she takes control over that phrase. So he went this way with it. She takes control of that phrase. And she says, well, in my opinion, he's not really doing what God wants. So I'm not going to listen to him. That ain't what it says either. It says, it says, listen to it. Listen to it. The motive of the wife's submission as is fitting to the Lord. So her motive is to submit to him. But it's out of reverence for God. Not out of reverence for him. Out of reverence for the, you could say the position, Right. And please hear me. This is not something commanded to the husband. This is something commanded to the wife. Husband, you don't have no control to make your wife submit to you. That is not scriptural. This is a voluntary decision that she has to make. Right? So, so stay with me. Maybe you can say this way. Write it down. You know, take her as a man. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Right? Your lane is to worry about you. Her lane is to worry about her. Then y'all come together and worry about everything else. Right? God is instructing the husband not to make his wife submit, but to allow her to voluntarily show a position of strength whereby she chooses to be led by her husband. It's a beautiful thing when it happens right. Right? And here's the sad part. Let me just be up front. I know y'all women might be liking some of this and not all of it. Here's the fact. I believe, and I've heard from a lot of you, so I know, a lot of women wish their husband would take spiritual leadership in the home. But you've been leading for so long that when he finally does man up and take possession, you're afraid so you don't react the right way. I'm just being upfront and honest. That happens a lot of times. Right? Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Right? Don't question it. Just be grateful the knucklehead finally changed and he's finally doing what he's supposed to do. Some of us men are slow learners. You know what I'm saying? We need a little bit more grace. Right? Here's another lesson. If you think, well, I ain't married, so this section don't apply to me. This applies to you more than anything. Because if God's expectation for you is to surrender to somebody, you better stop looking for attractive. You better stop looking for wealthy. You better stop looking for romantic. And you better start looking for somebody you can respect. Because it's going to be hard to submit to somebody years later when all that other stuff's gone. Right? So I think it's a great thing for us to understand. Right? Now, what about the husband? Right? I think his role is so critical and so important. Not only because I am one. But because God says he is the leader, which means this. He is responsible when his home is in chaos. Right? You come home. Let me go ahead and just paint a real good picture for you, right? Because we got this little thing in the world where like the man comes home from work and the house is all crazy. And what we do? I can't believe you let the house get like this. No, you let your house get like that. Because you're the leader of that home. And if you didn't see enough audacity in your livelihood and your leadership to make sure everything was straight and in order at home, it's on you. God's looking at you. I promise you, God ain't looking to her. He ain't looking at the kids as doing what kids do. Why would he look at the kids? He's looking at you as the leader. He's saying, if you're supposed to be the leader, you should be taking control of this, not blaming your wife. Right? Let me give you a little secret, too, because I love you know, I said each one only got one lesson, right? I love the lesson right here, right? Here's the secret. Any man... Whether you're single or already married. Hear me right now, right? Any man can get any woman to respect him if he does one simple thing. Now, you, you tuned in now, right? About Hold on. What I got to do? Look at verse 19. Love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Yes. Including you who just now thought, oh, my wife ain't never going to do that. Including you. If you loved her the way she's supposed to be loved, and you didn't get bitter with her the way she you ain't supposed to be bitter with her and harsh with her, she'd blow your socks off. You know what I'm saying? Seriously. Men, if you want harmony in your home, you love your wife. 
You love her unconditionally, whether she submits to you or not. You sacrifice yourself for her. You take the lead and you give yourself totally and completely to her before, not because of, her doing anything for you. And I promise you, if you love that way, eventually there ain't no woman in this room that could resist that kind of love. Right? And I'm talking about agape love here too, by the way. Here, there's what we need to differentiate between Bible times and our time. Because my wife, will come, I will come home and I'll say, baby, I love you. And she say, you want to go out and eat? And I'd be like, I love Pedro's. Now, do I love my wife the way I love some Pedro's? Huh? Not Senor Pedro, but like the restaurant. No, y'all would be thinking I got like a crush on the dude. That'd be weird. Right? Huh? <laughs> do I love my wife the way I love some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? She's dealing with the nursery. It'll be all right. <laughs> you, you notice so sometimes like we don't use the words the same. In the Greek, at least, they had differentiate. They would differentiate between these words. So you got one that says, "I love you like a friend." You got one that says, "I I do have that erotic kind of love for you." You got another that says, "I love you like family." And then you got this word that's used right here, agape, or really agapios would be how it would translate it completely into this sentence, meaning that you love even when they don't deserve it because it's an unconditional kind of love. It's the way that Jesus loved us from the cross. It's the way that Jesus loves us still to this day. It's why I can look you right in the eye and make sure you understand this is why love can be a command. Because some people will tell me in marriage counseling sometimes, they'll come in and be like, you know what? I ain't got the hots for her. I ain't got the hots for her no more. Right? I'd be like, that's good. He didn't tell you. He didn't command you to have erotic love for her forever. He said, have agape love for her forever. Well, you know, she ain't even like my friend no more. Well, that's good. It ain't good. You need to fix it. But that ain't got nothing to do with the command. He ain't saying you love her like a friend. He's saying you love her unconditionally. Well, you know, she done broke up the family. She ain't even really like family no more. That's good. Because he ain't commanding you to love her like family either. He uses this word and he's saying you're to love your wife unconditionally no matter what. You understand why it can be a command? I want, I want to make sure we get it because I'm telling you right now, a lot of people will, will read sections like this and they won't understand the difference because we use the word love for, like it's just a universal word for everything. That's not God's command. It's you love her when she ain't respecting you. It's you love her when she is having an emotional breakdown. It's you love her when she don't want your hands on her. It's you love her no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's an unconditional kind of thing. And, and here's the thing right here, right? It goes on to say, and love your wife without bitterness. That word in verse 19 literally means harsh. Because here's the reality. Women, y'all may not know this, so here's maybe a, a, a hint into us as men, right? When a man feels a lack of respect from his wife, it is so easy for him to harbor an ill will toward her. Just so you understand. It ain't right. But just so you understand. Seriously. It's easy for him to get bitter, to withdraw, or even worse, to retaliate. But the verse is saying, and, and please understand this because the root of bitterness can poison the marriage. The verse is saying, husbands, you need to learn to respond to your wife even when they have a lack of respect without bitterness or harshness. Because if you would break the cycle of responding the right, by, by responding the right way, the cycle would be broken and you wouldn't have some of the arguments that go on for weeks and months and years. Some of y'all still arguing over stuff right now that y'all stood all 10 years ago in your, in your marriages. I'm serious. Don't laugh. It's truth. Huh? With unconditional love. This is the same word, by the way, just to give you a good illustration so that you understand. This same word Jesus would have had while hanging on the cross when he looked out and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's unconditional love. Why they spitting in my face and why they throwing stuff on me, why they cheering on for my death. Unconditional love. Father, I still want you to forgive them. Father, I still want your grace and mercy to be poured out upon them. 
when no grace and sacrifice is deserved, this is still it. And hear me, man, if you look at the idea of headship as a reason to believe that you should get your way and have everything, you've missed the whole point to this. Don't you dare fall into that, right? You don't gain respect by demanding it. You gain respect by putting it aside to serve the one you love. And please, man, well, I'm going to stay on these men for a while, right? Because we're the leaders, right? Father's Day's somewhere coming up, right? Huh? Think June, July, somewhere, right? You don't have to fix your wife either, right? You don't have to fix your wife. You don't have to make them submit to have a happy home. All you got to do, it gives you one command. Love them. Love them. I don't know why you think you got to do more. I, I'm with you, by the way. I got myself in a lot of trouble trying to think I was supposed to do more, right? When your wife is falling apart, when she's emotional and you can't figure her out, you're not ever going to figure her out, by the way, right? Just hold her. Just hold her. Wrap your arms around her. Just love her. Don't move away from her. That, 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 that's something that... She picked the wrong way to do nursery, right? <laughs> Might have been a moment this week. In that moment, I thought I was supposed to stay away. So I stayed away. I went to my section on the couch. I left her in the cave. That was dumb. <laughs> that was real dumb. That was real wrong. That was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> that made for a miserable night, <laughs> right? She just needed to be held. She needed to know I cared. I didn't even have to understand or know what was going on because Lord knows we can't fix them. I just need to be there for her. Love your wife without trying to figure her out or fix her. Jump into the water with her even if it feels like you're going to drown. Right? Jump in there. Hold her and never let go while you're in there. I'm telling you, man, some of our problem is, and it's the way we're wired. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to take away from, from, I know how we wired. We like to fix things. We men, like that's a natural thing, right? Something broke, we want to fix it. And we think like there's this magic potion to fix this stuff. It ain't. That's a complex being the Lord created. That's why he only took one body part from you when he made her. Everything else was crazy. Right? I'm telling you, seriously. The only complex, or the only simple part of her was that rib. <laughs> Men, don't fix your wife because you can't. Love your wife because you can't. You hear me? You love your wife that way. You don't be bitter and harsh with her. I promise you, I promise you, I, I promise you, she'll start submitting to you willingly in a loving way, not in some dogmatic dictatorship kind of way. All right, then it goes on. Because we all know where all the lack of harmony in the home comes from. It ain't really the husband. It ain't really the wife. It's the kids. <laughs> I'm going to be honest and tell you guys something for real. I ain't never argued my wife that we had kids. I'm dead serious. Yeah, three years we dated, or two years we dated, one year we was engaged, wedding planning, in the midst of chaotic stuff going, going on in my dad's work and family and all, right? In the midst of all that, no argument. First year of marriage, zero argument. I'm telling you, we never argued over nothing. <laughs> and then y'all came. <laughs> and then y'all took over our homes. <laughs> A peaceful home with all harmony. Look how simple this is, though. Remember, he says it keeps it simple, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Right? Children. Verse 20. Obey your parents. Now, now hear me. One, I, I got to point this out because there's, there's a big word. I talk about words all the time. The wife is to submit. The kid is to obey. I just point that out because some people say submit means, no, it don't. <laughs> no, it don't. He uses two totally different words right here, okay? When he says submit, he means submit. When he says obey, he means obey. 
The wife has to choose to submit that you're going to obey no matter what. <laughs> I'll make you obey. <laughs> right? And he, here's the cool thing, though. For kids, for real, listen to me. Because he's talking about, this is one of the only times, by the way, in Scripture, it actually talks about younger kids in the home. A lot of times when it talks about, you know, respecting your parents. That, that goes on forever. I still should be respecting my parents now that I'm out in the home and got my own, right? But this obedience thing, this is two kids while in the home, right? So if you don't like it, hear me right now. If you're 18, 19, 20, 35, if you don't like it, get out the home and get your own. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nobody told you to stay. You can get out. You're leaving at 18, dog, right? Your mama ain't gonna let you leave, it don't matter. (laughs) But look how easy this is for real. So some of our kids in the home, and it's just being it's just being simple and honest. Obey them. Why? Because if you obey them, everything else they gotta worry about. He's trying to keep it simple. If you obey them, everything else is on them. If you do what I tell you to do, and there's consequences, they on me, they're not on you. You see how easy that is? How much that changes things? One little boy, he finally figured out, he said, Man, I figured out the system for getting along with my mom. She tells me what to do and I do it. You can't get no more simple than that. You know what I'm saying? It's really that simple. And what kid don't want harmony at the house? It's sad how much lack of harmony kids... Figure out. <laughs> it's sad. All kidding aside, it is sad how much lack of harmony kids see at home. It really is in today's day and time, for real. Right? It really is. But kids, please understand, if you would do what you told to do, you could help tremendously. You don't know the power and the ability you have to help. Honestly, to bring about more harmony, to bring about more peace, even when you don't like what's going on. Right. That's all he says for kids. Then he goes on. And I don't know if Paul got a joke going right here, if the Lord got a joke going right here. But y'all notice what happens. Everybody doesn't been mentioned. Everybody, everybody. Right. Mom, our husband, our wife to husband, husband to wife. Got both of them. Right? Then we go parents. I mean, then we got kids to parents. But then when you get right here, the mama ain't even mentioned. So I don't know if Paul and the Lord trying to pull a joke like she does that good of a job that she don't even need to be mentioned right here. Mother's Day coming up next month. Hint, AKA, check Amazon. Make sure you buy your mama something nice. Right? Or, more likely, a lot of times when it mentions fathers, talking about parents in general. <laughs> but it is funny to me every time I look at it. I don't understand why you don't have mamas right here. Because what does he say? Daddies. Don't stir up your children and provoke them to anger. Verse 21. The last thing we want to do as parents is to quench the fire of our children's passion and zeal for life. You ever watch the kid when he's got passion and he's got zeal and then you pop it? That's the most miserable feeling in the world if you're the one that did it. I'm telling you. It's horrible. It's so easy to do, though, if we're not careful. Here's just, there's way more than this, but here's just three things fathers do, maybe mamas too, that discourage their children, right? First thing they do is they ignore them. When you're worried about making a dollar and you're not worried about being home to be with your kids, when you're worried about playing with JoJo and, and, and whoever else you got to hang out with, and you're not worried about being home with your kids, when you've ignored your kids to that extent, children will create a deep-seated resentment inside that tears them up. Children in these homes, they grow up to feel unloved, unaccepted. They end up looking for their needs to be met elsewhere because you took their buckets and you scattered them out in the world rather than their bucket being rooted in Jesus. So now they go out into the world to fill up their bucket. And then you get mad about it like it's their fault. That's the bad part. 
Well, I don't know why he's looking forward over there. Yeah, me, me neither. I don't know why he wouldn't want to come home to the way you're acting. Blows my mind, huh? Huh? Ignoring them? You know, you know, they did a survey. The number one thing, number one, 76% out of 100 that kids desired more than anything was family time. You imagine that? I'm, I'm dead serious. This is, check it out on Google. It surveys all, a bunch of them, a bunch of them. Some of them had it at 80, some of them had it down at like low 70, but, but the average is right in the mid 70s. Just time with you is all they want. Not junk, not electronics, not money, maybe Reese's peanut butter cups, right? <laughs> time with you. Maybe you eat Reese's peanut cup with them. They ignore them. First thing we do. Third, or second thing, sorry. We do to discourage our children. We indulge them or spoil them. You do the exact opposite, right? You give them everything they want. This isn't good. Because a child who, who's spoiled all the time, they get restless, they're always dissatisfied. You ever seen people who grew up spoiled? They dissatisfied with everything. Ain't nothing ever good enough. Right? That's a sad way to be. Third, third thing you do, you insult them. Some of us as fathers, we criticize our kids. Some of us is foolish enough to even call them by name. Right? Sarcasm, ridicule. It'll knock the stuffing out of a kid faster than anything. Man, be careful in the way you talk to your kids. Be careful in the way you treat them. Huh? Why when they bring home a report card, are you so fast? And know your kids, because I can do this with some of mine, but not all of them, right? Why, why are you so quick to, to notice the B when you got four A's? Right? We quick to look at negative in everything rather than looking at the positive. How about, man, great job. Huh? Know your kids, though. Each kid's different. Man. Compliment them as much as you can. Discipline them in the right way and spend time with them. That's just three simple ones, man. We could do a whole series just on this one right here. You want harmony in your home? How about start putting your family first over your own personal agendas? Your own desires? Huh? And I'm going to tell you right now, when I say put first, please understand me. We talking about being in Jesus. So Jesus is first, but because I'm in Jesus, now I can do everything else the right way. So don't get them mixed up. Family don't even come before the Lord. Wives submit to your husband, husband sacrifice for your wife, children obey your parents. Parents take time to ignite a passion in your kids. I read a thing this week about two paddle boats. They left the port at the same time in the Mississippi River, and they were going right beside each other, and it was two brothers. You know, if you've got two brothers in two different boats, what got to happen, right? Trash talking. So the trash talking began to get on, and, and there was trash talking back and forth, and finally it became a race. Who could get next to who get to the next one first, right? They began to realize that the fuel was running out on the, uh, the steam engine paddles at the back of the boat, right? Turned them and everything. And, and they, they thought they had plenty for the trip, and they did. Except for when you're racing, you burn more fuel. So you ought to complain about the gas prices right now? Hear me right now. If you stomp the pedal hard, you get less gas mileage, right? And it ain't rocket science. So anyway, now if you got money for gas, roll on 42s and stomp the gas, right? So anyway, um, so they start burning all the stuff. Then they realize, hey, I can start burning the stuff on my ship up. As fuel. So they start throwing everything in there. Burning up chairs, burning up furniture, burning up chest drawers, and, and burning all this stuff. Finally, finally, they, they, they do win the race, but when they get to the end, they realize they done burned up every piece of cargo they had. Think about that for the race of life, guys. What we call the race of life. How much precious cargo do we burn up trying to make sure we get what it is we desire rather than what it is God's got for us? Right? No matter what your priorities have been up until now, hear me, man. It ain't too late to change with the help of Christ. 
That's what this whole thing's about. That's what his word is about. To just trust him and let him rearrange my priorities. To put all my buckets in him and let him arrange the buckets however he wants them. Let him control what goes in each bucket and what comes out of each bucket and how each bucket is done. Which brings me to this, this, this powerful close. Verse 23. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done from the Lord and not for people. So you, you get the what you're supposed to do, whatever you do. You get the how you're supposed to do it, like I'm doing it for the Lord. You get to who you're doing it for, for the Lord. And then you get to who you ain't doing it for, people. Right? So you got all of it right there. Verse 24. Knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord at church? Yes, but not just there. You serve the Lord in religion? Yes, but not just there. You serve the Lord at every area of your life. Every single thing you do. Every step you take. Every word you utter. All of it is an offering to Jesus. Is what Paul is saying. He's in control of all of it. When you're making a decision about how to respond to the person that cut you off in traffic. Whether you wave with love or give them a one finger salute. Right? You respond the way Jesus wants you to respond. When you're doing your job. Go back to verse 22, right? When it talks about working for the Lord. I don't care if your boss is a jerk or not. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for the Lord. Right? You're doing it for recognition. Not recognition for yourself, but recognition for the way the world looks at Christians. Worst thing I ever heard about Christians was that people fight to not serve your table on a Sunday because y'all are the worst tippers in the world. Seriously. I'm being dead serious. I, I, I thought about that. I'm like, man, that's, that's the reputation we build for Jesus? Don't we the worst givers? I got a friend who, who purposely won't hire Christians anymore because they slack off on the job all the time. So they're the laziest group of people. Is that the reputation we want to build for the Lord? I want it to be the opposite. I want people to be fighting over who gets to the Christian table. Oh, that's a bunch of church people. Let me go get them. I want to serve them as much as I can. They don't tip big. Right? I, I want to hire. I, 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 I don't know if you could ever get away with this. Talk about politics. Right? I, I, I want on the job resume to say, are you a believer or not? And if it clicks, yes, you automatically bump up a little bit. Right? <laughs> That's the way it ought to be, man. We ought to be the best in everything we do. Why? Because we don't do it for man. We do it for the Lord. Our attitude. How's your attitude when you're doing the job? How's your attitude when you're doing anything in life? How do you respond to people? Go back to verse 19. How, how I respond to my wife when she's not being loving, when she doesn't deserve a tender response. Huh? When, when she hadn't did something right. I'm just kidding. My wife's perfect. Perfect in every way. What about when I'm not perfect? How does she respond to me? Right? What about when I've messed up for like the umpteenth million time? Children, verse 20. How you respond to people. Children, how you obey a parent when they're not perfect. But they're God's appointed authority over you. There's guidelines. There's lessons. There's rules, right? But we've got to make sure we're doing it right. How you respect them. How you respect and how you, how you respond to them is actually how you respect and respond to Him. Maybe that's a good way to remember Right? And in all these relationships. First and foremost, a response to Him. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as if you're doing something. When you do your schoolwork, you're doing it for the Lord. When you choose your career, you're seeking out the Lord's guidance. Not just spiritual parts, not just the churchy parts of your life, but in every area of your life. Jesus Christ looks at us and He says, not one square inch of your life is it mine. He says He's a jealous God for our good, for His control, Right? When you call him Abba, that means you're his child. That means he looks at you and he gets jealous for you. 
The alternative? Keep leaving your bucket scattered around everywhere. Keep letting other people hand you your bucket. Keep your bucket separate from Jesus instead of Him being first. Paul says, no, He is first. He went first for salvation. You'd be lost without Him. And He should come first in everything else. You know the problem we do to buckets? I'll get this out and wrap it up with this right here. The problem is, then we have religion and we look at religion instead of a relationship with God and we look at it as like this obligation kind of thing. That's the problem with the buckets, for real. That's, that's why Paul is getting on this, this church in Colossus so bad right here. Right? How many times I got to go to church to keep God happy? That should never be a question for a believer. That's not, that's not a question. I mean, how many times I got to go? Well, you think if I go three times a month, that's enough? Think if I go twice a year, that's enough? How morally do I, how, how immorally do I have to live to get on his bad side? Like God grades on some sort of curve. Right? Or, or you think, how much money I got to give to keep God off my back? Like he's some kind of tax. Huh? Man, Paul says, no, Christ owns it all. Therefore, you should be doing his will in, in all these areas, all these buckets. Not just one bucket versus the other. You know the saddest, most jolting verse in scripture? Last verse for today. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. While, while, while she's turning to Samuel on the screen, I want to remind you guys. So, so I was and, and thinking about like love for a wife and all. You, you, ever, you ever remember the story of, of Jacob when he works to earn his wife? Y'all remember what happened? He worked seven years. Seven years for a woman, right? That's a lot of work. That's a lot of waiting. You know what I'm saying? Like, think women, be men, right? Seven years you done waited. Then he got her sister. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, after seven years, I might just have to settle. Jacob ain't settled. Jacob went back to the, the, the daddy of the daughters. What did he tell him? Hey, that ain't the one I want. That's not the one I love. What I got to do to get the one I love? He said, oh, that's seven more years. That's sacrifice. That's sacrifice. Because he does it. He says, I'll do the other seven. I'll do 14 years to wait on my bride. That I want. Women, hear me right now. You trying to find somebody that'll love you? You find somebody that'll wait 14 years for you? That's a love. Right? That's a love. They trying to get stuff too quick? Give them the boot. Huh? Let me wrap this thing up. Last verse. Remember 1 Samuel 15, 23. It says, For rebellion is the sin of deviation. Some of y'all's translation may have sorcery, may have witchcraft. Notice what it ties into. And presumption... Doing what you want with what God has given you, not doing it God's way, is as iniquity and idolatry. You guys hear what this verse is saying? Because ain't nobody said ouch just now, and I think it should have been a big ouch. Let this sink in. He's saying to take any part of what belongs to God and act like it belongs to you is equal to worshiping the devil. That means if you think you've got control over your marriage and you ought to do it your way, that's equal to worshiping the devil. That means if you take any of these buckets and you think they ought to be separate from Jesus, that's equal to worshiping the devil. Sound pretty harsh, don't it? Huh? But that's, that's, that's what he is saying right here in this time. Samuel's so dumb, by the way. I don't know if you guys remember Samuel, that first king. He's so dumb. He thinks if he ties off of this, ties off this incorruptible or corruptible stuff, he's done gain. He thinks that'll get God off his back. Even if you tithe on it, God looks at his worshiping the devil. Huh? Even if you're religiously active. Even if you're really a good person. You know, say, God doesn't really want your religion. He don't want your moral behavior. He wants you. He wants complete surrender. And if he's not going to get that, 
He don't really sugarcoat it any other way. He says, be one way or the other. He wants to be the one you're obeying. He wants to be the one you're living for. He wants to be the one you're seeking to glorify in every dimension of your life. The one you serve and how you respond to every relationship out there. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Then skip down to 23. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as if something done for the Lord and not for people. He is the bucket in every area of our life. Every desire, every job, every task, every feeling, every relationship, every speech, every word should be in Him. And if it's not in Him, we've missed the mark somewhere. If your priorities have been messed up, look at what Paul's saying to the Colossians. Today is the day that you can get it changed. Today's the day you can do something. You know one of our greatest sins is to do nothing? I'm serious. For a lot of us, men, the men did the parable of the talents. We started the parable of the talents Wednesday night. We were, we were going through them, and, 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 and somebody said, Well, he returned everything at the end that he had. Yeah. And the master looked at him and said, You wicked servant. But, but he didn't lose none. Yeah, but he didn't do nothing either. It said that he gave each one of them. According to their ability. That means the master. Don't think the master don't know your ability. Don't think the master don't know what you can do. Right? Don't think the master don't know how to help you to handle stuff. He said, I know what you can handle. I know how you can do it. And I know my expectations from it. It goes back to raising kids. I said, no, you kid, right? If you've got a straight A kid, you push it to make straight A's. If you've got a C kid, you push it to make C's. You can't make a C kid an A kid, guys. It ain't fair to the kid. But don't you dare take an A kid and demean it down to a C kid either. Know your kid, right? Know your expectations for them. Let's get our home life right so that we can get the rest of the relationships in this world right. So that we can begin to change things in, in light of who Jesus is in everything of our life being in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this morning, Lord. It's a privilege to get to look at a letter you wrote so long ago. And see how much it directly applies still today to our lives. And I just ask that you take these words. You do what I can't do with the Lord. I, I can only speak to ears and hear. Father God, you take it deeper than that. You speak to the minds and the hearts of those that are sitting here this morning, Lord. Lord, you communicate where our priorities need to change, God. Where buckets need to be dumped into you, Lord God. Where, where you just need a bucket, Lord Jesus. Maybe that's it. I pray more than anything, Lord God, that you just get your point across to each and every individual on a separate way here, Lord God. God, as we know our children as earthly parents, you as the great Abba, the great Father, I know you know your children. And I know you communicate exactly what they need, the way they need it. And I just ask that you do it right now, Lord God. Take this time, take this moment to get us right with you. So that the report of God after this, we can get everything right outside this walls. In your name we pray. Amen.